listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. Today, our guest is Dr. David Burkus, and our topic is leading small teams. If you're leading a small team, then you know that it's a core competency. You have to know exactly how to manage the people, how to set expectations, checkpoints, milestones, other things like that. We're talking about that and more in our conversation with David Burkus. And also check out his new book called Best Team Ever. This is a book that you're not going to want to miss. You're going to want to get that today. We're going to put the link for Dr. David Burkus for his speaking site on the show notes, also his LinkedIn page, as well as the Amazon link so that you can order Best Team Ever. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my conversation with Dr. David Burgess. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special guest today. We've got Dr. David Burkus joining us, and we are talking about leading small teams. David, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I like the fact that you've got that credentialed expertise as a professor, and you teach this. And so the people that are listening probably have a small team. It could be an attorney with a big firm with two or three associates. It could be a small business owner with a handful of employees. How is that different than those people that are leading large organizations? What are some of your initial thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that you have a lot more influence over the culture of yeah. said team. In fact, in when I work with a lot of large organizations, one of the things I do is try and bring it down to the level of each individual team, right? Like what I'll say is even in a large firm, every leader at every level is responsible for the culture of his or her team. And so, you know, when you're leading a small operation entirely, like a small business, then you're 100% responsible for the culture of the company. But even in a large organization, uh, what we find is that personally, I think terms like company culture are sort of Mm -hmm. irrelevant because Mm -hmm. really it's just the average of all of those individual team cultures. And when you are leading that small team, you are the one people are looking for. You're the thing that's going to set the tone for how that team behaves and acts and what that culture looks like. Yeah, absolutely right. So as someone is looking to grow their organization with their small team, let's say there's some sort of a conflict that they have, or they see two employees that have conflict with each other. I would assume that the implications of those issues are much more significant in that small business compared to a larger one, right? Yeah, well, I mean... (laughs) Certainly, it's a whole lot harder to just move people to a different team if they're constantly in conflict. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. It makes it makes, and it's sort of like candidly, small teams, it's a bit like being in a marriage. If you have a conflict, you could resolve the conflict, and then lo and behold, it comes up again three and six and nine months later. Like it's just this never settled kind of conflict. But, you know, the truth is too, Scott, that conflict's not always a bad thing on teams as well, right? Yeah. And especially in small teams, this is where, you as the leader kind of become the referee to make sure that that conflict becomes what we often in psychology call task-focused conflict. It's totally okay for people to fight about the right way to go about something. It's totally okay for them to fight about, I want to implement this idea and you want to implement it this way. And when we're discussing the merits of each argument, that's totally cool. It's when it devolves into personal conflict that we have a problem. It's when it devolves into, you know, you've always been wrong or you're an underperformer. How dare you say that? That sort of thing. That's 
when we really have unhealthy conflict that can sit and fester for a long, long period of time. But truthfully, when you look at small teams, even mid-sized teams, a lot of them are marked by a sense of healthy conflict. They're okay with the idea that they don't agree. And in fact, the smaller your team, the more vital it is that people have differences of opinion because you don't have enough people to get you as much diversity as you could have if you're leading a, a 12 or 18 person team, right? So you need those conflicting ideas. You just need to teach people to fight right. Right, right. So so let me ask you this then in terms of the direction of the organization. Let's say I've got my small team and we want to have a clear strategy in place and we've got clear outcomes. This is what we want to build for the year. Where do I start as a manager in communicating that to my team and how do I set those key performance indicators and then track those? Kind of give me an overview of that whole process. Yeah. So you know, in, in a lot of cases, there's a couple of different ways this, this manifests. Now, number one, let me just say blanket statement. I'm in favor of bringing the whole team into deciding those KPIs yeah. as much as possible. Okay. Right? Now, if, if you're in a large organization, this is usually not going to happen, right? You're a manager. Someone from on high has given you your performance objectives. You're a, you're a partner. The firm has given you the number of hours you're supposed to find and bill for the year, right? right? But what you can still do is work with the team that you have to set out what those milestones are, right? If we need this many, if this is the yearly performance objective that we have to hit, what does six months look like? What does the next quarter look like? What does the next sprint of two or three weeks look like, right? right. And then what actions are we going to kind of take to do that? Even if you can't do that, you can still have a collaborative conversation about who's taking responsibility for what tasks that need to happen in order to hit those objectives. Ultimately okay. what we see. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so, so we have a meeting there. We have a meeting. We talk about this as a group collectively. And it's interesting because this is something I've done with my team as we look at what are the metrics that lead up to a placement, which is our goal, and how do we track those along the way? So we have a meeting where we talk about this is the end goal. And I want you to help me figure out what can I expect from you along the way to get that goal? Is, it, is that kind of what we're talking about here? Yeah, you say you remember that this is a team-wide meeting, right? This mm -hmm. is a, this is a discussion though. This isn't just you know, we're having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with each individual person, right? This right. is kind of that that team-wide meeting. And you're going to notice two things like right right off the bat. Number 1, the power of autonomy. We know this from gosh, probably 40 plus years of research now that the more autonomy you give people over how they're going to do the work, what work they're going to do, what the timetables are. Again, even if the finish line has been decided, just giving them autonomy over how they're going to run the race, that has a tremendous impact on their own intrinsic sense of motivation towards achieving those things. So that's yeah. number one that you're going to notice. The okay. second thing you're going to notice is that when you have this discussion team-wide, you're going to notice people actually starting to talk about their strengths and weaknesses, what tasks they really thrive on. You're going to notice the team figuring out this collectively. This is what I call in my recent book, Best Team Ever, what I call common understanding, what's sometimes also called shared understanding. You're going to notice that the team starts to develop an understanding about everyone on the team and what they contribute. And that is huge yeah. for actually achieving the objectives, right? Not just knowing what's assigned from everybody, but knowing what each other's strengths and weaknesses and work preferences are because pivots are going to have to happen, changes are going to have to happen. And if you don't know that, you could find yourself like, barking orders as the captain of the ship trying to write it and just saying, now here's what we're doing. And in reality, if it doesn't play to the strengths and weaknesses of the individuals on your team, you're probably in an even worse situation once you start to take command back because you don't have that shared understanding. Yeah, that's really insightful, David. And that's something I just hadn't really thought about that much. So let's say our team, 
we talk together and we have a plan in place. We have our key performance indicators in place. How do I communicate to them? I want to track what you're doing. I want to make sure that we're getting there so that we don't go too far without the outcomes that we want. How do you think a manager should do that? Yeah. I mean, candidly, you ask, right? Yeah. So I, I'm as simple I'm, as that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I'm in favor again. We, we had the large objective. We set it down into milestones. We gave people autonomy over what those are. That, that set some checkpoints that you can hold people accountable to. Now, when I okay. say ask, checkpoints, you call them checkpoints, right? Checkpoints, milestones. It, I let the team decide what they're called. I don't ever like, I don't have an operating system like a Gino Wickman that I think everybody should above. Every team is so different. But yeah. what I'm getting at is that there are smaller, smaller objectives along the way. And really what I want is a once a week or a two week regular meeting, two weeks at the most, where you're asking as a team, where you're checking in. I call this a huddle. Um, other people steal this methodology from Agile, the world of Agile software development, where it's called a scrum or a daily standup. It's the three questions you're asking that I want you to get at. So on a regular basis, you're meeting with the whole team and the team is sharing out what did I just complete? Meaning between the last meeting and now, what have I gotten done that moves us towards those checkpoints? What am I focused on next? Meaning between this meeting and the next one, what am I committing to achieve? And the third one I think is the most important, what's blocking my progress? In other words, as I look forward over the next two weeks, where do I see the potential derailers? That could be internal, like a knowledge gap or a skills gap. That could be external, like I need a resource or a report from somebody else on the team. And this isn't a check-in, like this isn't a one-on-one -on -one like you do with your people. You still need to be doing those. Right. This is a team-wide meeting where you're asking those questions and the team is reporting out. And I think this is great because it not only covers if we need to pivot and how we need to pivot, we can solve that as a team and maintain autonomy and maintain shared understanding. It also becomes the way you manage people to those objectives, right? right. If somebody comes in and they don't have anything to report after a week and they're not, everything they said they're going to achieve last week, they didn't achieve. We know we've got a performance issue. Maybe That's not right. the first right. week, right? Maybe they got the flu or something like that. But if it's a consistent problem, you and the team now have a documented performance issue you can handle. And it's not you sort of browbeating or micromanaging, et cetera. It's just you asking for an update every week and noticing, hey, you are always underperforming what you say you're going to do in a week. Let's talk about how to get you back to the level you need to be at. This is great. Let me go through these again, because you gave us some really solid ideas. I want to make sure that everybody understands those. You talk about in this huddle on a regular basis, we talk about what first, what the team is sharing out, what they completed. Is that right? Yeah. So this is each individual on the team sharing out what did okay. I just complete? Okay. Got it. Okay. So each individual talking about what they completed. And is this done every week, you think, or every other week? What do you think? I think for most knowledge work teams, the best cycle is once a week. I've worked with some teams where things move so fast, they do it on a every day or every other day basis. And mm -hmm. I've worked with other teams where it's usually very remote, highly autonomous teams, asynchronous teams where they go out to about two weeks. I've never really seen it done successfully less than every two weeks. Right? Okay, so got, it, got it. Maximum two weeks. And is there a good time of the day to have these meetings, Mondays, Fridays, Wednesdays? What do you think? So I used to say Monday or Friday, the truth is in this kind of hybrid work world that we all live in, whatever the first day of the week, you're all in person is, right? Okay. So if you all take Mondays and work remotely, then this is Tuesday. If you only ever come to the office on Wednesday, then this is, this is Wednesday. And, and the reason for that is I think these meetings work better in person if your yeah. team is in person. Obviously, yeah, right. if they're fully remote, then you do what you can. If your team is in person, these work better in person. And also, I just have a personal bias 
toward not asking people to come to the office and then sit on Zoom calls. So like, I love the idea that we've got at least one hour of your eight hours on your in-office day where you're going to be interacting with other humans. Yeah, that's nice. I think people need that. That's what I've seen in my work in terms of recruiting is that people want to come to the office, maybe not every day, but they like, and I think they need that personal interaction. Those are really good insights, David. So first, sharing out, what did they complete? And what's the next thing that we should talk about in our meeting? So the second question was, what am I focused on next? Which is my commitments I'm making this week or this cycle, this sprint is the term I sometimes use towards the following week. So again, and these are in line with what we decided earlier. We have our annual objective. We have our checkpoints. This is something that brings us to uh, that. So what are the things now? The other, the reason this is so critical is not only are you getting people to commit to what they're going to perform in for the next week so you can properly manage them. But you're also, as a leader, you're getting the whole team to see whether or not critical tasks are getting done. It's not uncommon for everybody to give out there, here's what I'm focused on next. And you get to the end and you're like, well, wait a minute, we have this issue with this client and and nobody talked about it. Who's going to pick that up this week? Because that's critical that we get that done, right? So a meeting like this where people are checking in and saying, here are the things I'm putting on my plate for this week. Also make sure that everything that needs action is being uh, committed to. Okay, great. So first we have, what did they complete? Second, what am I focused on next? These are commitments they're making this cycle or this sprint to the following week. And then what's the third thing we should talk about during that meeting? What's blocking my progress, Okay, right? which is, which is as I look to the things I just committed to do. And sometimes this comes up in the span of here's why I didn't hit what I had committed to do prior. So sometimes it comes up in question one, but it's really focused on as I look forward to question two, Here are the things that I see that could potentially derail me. This is an opportunity for the team to ask for help. Here's the thing I found, Scott, I'm sure you're the same way, about really smart people, right? The smarter you are, the less willing you are to ask for help, Yeah, right? Because we think I'm smart enough to figure it out, right? And I don't want to tell anybody I'm behind. I don't want to tell anybody I'm struggling because that might reflect on me poorly. So I'll just figure it out. But how many times have you been in that situation where when the problem finally comes to your attention, even on a small team, it gets hidden from you, it grows, it compounds, and finally it's like undeniable. And so it's brought to your attention and you're like, gosh, why didn't you tell me four weeks ago when we could have solved this much smaller problem, right? Yeah. So so notice what, what it is. It's not where do I need help, right? It's not where have I messed up. It's as I look forward, what's potentially blocking my progress. And this can be, again, like I said before, this can be internal. I'm working with this client. And the truth is, I just don't know how to, how to put together this proposal. Or it could be external. I've been waiting for this resource from a different department in the organization or something like that forever, and I still don't have it. But it lets you as a leader know where you may have to go out and find something for the team to enable them to do their best work. Or it lets the team opt into helping each other as well. Oh, you don't know how to do that. Well, I worked on a similar account two years ago. Let's schedule a 30 minutes where I can I can kind of download what I learned from that to you so you'll be better empowered to do it, right? Okay, that's this great. be that opportunity too. Wow, wow. This rabbit hole goes pretty deep, David. This is great. I mean, real insights here. And then what's, wasn't there a fourth talking point that we- No, so those are three main questions. Okay. What, I, what did I just complete? What am I focused on next? What's blocking my progress? Now, I will say there's a fourth component in my mind which is that you want to allow for some level of of free time, unstructured time, catch-up time, whether that's at the very beginning or the very end, especially if your team is geographically dispersed, if they're working hybrid or fully remote, you want some time where people are actually catching up more on a personal level 
what we find is when you have that, if you think about it, just like you and I, before the podcast, what do we talk about? That's right. Oh, how's yeah. the weather where you are? How's the yeah. family? What have you been facing? What have you? you? You get a little bit of personalization, but you also, to, to use the psychology term, you start to develop what are called uncommon commonalities between individuals on the team. Things that two people on your team may have in common. Maybe they are, you know, as we're recording this, I'm, the nur- I'm nursing the loss of my Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. <laughs> and maybe you find out they're also Eagles fans, or maybe you find out they're Cowboys fans and now you hate them. You know, whatever it is, right? right. You start to find those things in common. And those are the beginning of bonds. Those are the beginning of friendships on the team. Those are the beginning of what's going to keep the team really feeling committed to each other is that they know each other as humans. So that's not really a question. It's more like permission that if at times in the beginning and the end of your regular meeting, the team gets off track, that's okay. As long as they're sharing little bits about themselves and they're catching up with each other and they're having some kind of personal time. This is great, David. And kind of getting back to the more structure, so the more structured part of that meeting, what I like about this is this gives me, a team leader, a framework where I don't feel like I'm micromanaging or bullying my team. We're having a conversation and we're having a conversation as a group. And I think people don't want to disappoint their colleagues. They don't want to disappoint their manager, but it's the team. You don't want to let your comrades down, you know? And so I think that's another bit of genius that you've put into this. Yeah. You don't want to disappoint your comrades for sure. But also as a leader, I think this makes constructive criticism and and performance feedback actually easier, right? Like it's hard. I get it. Nobody, nobody gets into this job because they want to tell other people they're doing a terrible job. I mean, I say that 4% of any given population are psychopaths. So a very small percentage (laughs) of people, but most of us don't want to do that. However, when you see it in front of the team, when you see someone who's consistently underperforming and they're reporting that out in front of the team, as a leader, you realize I have an obligation to the rest of this team to address this issue. So this isn't just like, oh, I got to do that check-in or I got to give constructive criticism to this person. This is, I have an obligation to do it, right? So not only do you get people wanting to perform more because they're being held accountable to the team, you as a leader, it, it, it kind of makes that conversation easier if it comes to it. Yeah, this is this is very insightful. And so let's go into that conversation then. You have someone who is not hitting the metrics. They're not achieving the outcomes Uh, for whatever reason. Maybe they don't have the skills. Maybe they don't have the attitude. Who knows whatever that issue is. How do you have that conversation? What did you say the words you used to describe it that weren't constructive criticism? What was it? Feedback? Uh, or something yeah, like sometimes that? I use performance feedback. Or performance feedback. It's, just, it's okay. an underperformance conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so tell me about that. How do we have that conversation with someone on our team? Yeah, so I think the first thing you do even before you have that conversation is you have to understand the issue. And, and what I mean by understand the issue is that I'm a big fan of the industrialist and kind of management thinker, W. Edwards Deming, right? Big oh, yeah. systems yeah. thinker, great quality guy. And he had this thing he called the 85-15 rule, which in a knowledge work system, let's it might go to 70-30 or something like that. But the idea was that the majority of the time someone is underperforming, it's a systems issue, not a personal issue. In other words, they don't have a resource. They don't have a knowledge or a training they were supposed to have. They they could perform. They're intrinsically motivated to perform and they're qualified to perform, but something in the system is not giving them what they need to perform. So number one, you need to investigate the issue and see if it's that versus something else. This is why I love a question like what's blocking my progress on a regular basis. Now, that said, 
the Ed, Edwards called it the 85-15 rule. We might add what I call the 100% rule, which is 100% of the time when you enter in to a conversation with an underperformer, they're going to blame an external issue, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you're prepared for that. If it is one of those things, then you can have a conversation about how you're going to get them those skills, the training they need, the resource they need, what have you. If it's the 15% of the time where it is an in-person issue, you've eliminated that excuse because you've already studied the situation. Yeah, right. this is great. You, you already know, hey, it, no, I looked into it. You have what you need, et cetera. You're just underperforming, right? Then your question turns to, What's the plan to get back on plan, right? Unfortunately, in a lot of large organizations, this immediately turns into a PIP, a performance improvement plan, which is essentially a way to manage someone out. It's yeah. just, you're going to do these things. And when you fail to do them, HR will let me fire you. We really, that's not what we want. That's not what most of us got into to leadership for. What we want is, okay, you know, we thought you had the, the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do this, or, or maybe you, you had what we hired you for, but the nature of our work changed so much that you're underskilled for it. Here's the plan to get you those intrinsic things you need, right? Here, is, here's the system yeah. to, to do that. And then what are those individual checkpoints that's going to that's gonna get you there, right? Now, again, you can only have this conversation if you've done the research ahead of time to follow the 85-15 rule to eliminate all external things. And I would say about 5 or 10% of the time, it's a motivation issue. And then hopefully, right, you've built enough uncommon commonalities, you've built enough candid feedback, you've built enough psychological safety to have a real conversation with that person about whether or not they feel like they could continue to be motivated to do this job. Or if we really are talking about inviting them to be successful somewhere else, somewhere where yeah. they're more motivated to do yeah. it. There is going to be a percentage of time where when you get to all of it, somebody's underperforming. What you realize is you're always going to underperform in this role because this role is not suited to do what you want to do. And then truthfully, you have a vested interest in, in not only for the team and for the organization that you serve, but for that individual person to help them have that conversation about what a transition looks like. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is very deep, David. And I want to thank you for sharing your brilliant ideas which are very simple. And I think people can definitely take actions on those. Before we end here, let me ask you this. If somebody wants to take some of the ideas that you mentioned and implement these in terms of three action steps, what do you think they should start with in terms of step one, step two, and step three? Yeah. So action step number one would be to regularly do these hubs, right? To actually put it on the calendar, do that first meeting, have that first conversation. Uh, what did I just complete? What am I focused on next? What's blocking my progress, right? Action step number two actually speaks to whether or not we can have these candid feedback conversations. And that is think about what you're doing to build trust and psychological safety. Are, are you candid enough? Are you vulnerable enough in front of the team where they will be vulnerable enough with you, especially when it comes to the what's blocking my progress question? Right, right. Right. So, so that's action step number three. And then action step or number two. And then action step number three is I would develop a system. We didn't, we didn't talk about this. The, the time constraints we all face prevented us from getting into this. But I'm a big fan of when we talk about that 10% of time where people aren't motivated, et cetera. I'm a big fan of making sure as a leader, you are able to speak to people's intrinsic motivation. And so what I would do is develop a system where you can capture the kind of wins and success stories and, and answers to who's served by the work that our team is doing, right? A lot of times we, we, we do work in the service of another organization, another person, another 
department, what have you. And we forget to capture the stories of that impact, the thank you notes, the examples, right? You know, you work in recruiting, the time we placed that amazing person and they really actually turned that department, that division, that firm around, right? Collecting those stories on a regular basis so that when you hit tough times as a leader, when your team is really struggling, when the, when the what did I just complete aren't happening, you can actually remind them of why the work that we do is, is so important, right? So number one, run those huddles. Number two, focus in on building that sense of psychological safety. And number three, get ready to start collecting those stories that'll speak to what in, in psychology we call pro-social motivation, the motivation to help other people, which is the strongest form of extrinsic motivation we can, we can offer people, even above pay raises and what have you. And if you do that, you'll start, the, the book I just recently released is called Best Team Ever. If you do that, you'll start turning your team into the best team ever, at least the best team you've ever led. Maybe not the best one ever, but the best one you've ever led. <laughs> this is great, David. Thanks for clarifying that. And thank you for these three action steps. And then tell us more about your book, about the offerings that you have. What do you want our listeners to know that you do that can help them get better at their jobs? Yeah. So the, the book is called Best Team Ever. Uh, if you hated this podcast, you're going to hate the book. If you liked <laughs> what we talked about today, we've got like 35 more little takeaways and things like that. Yeah. inside the book to, to help you do that. My work now predominantly, I still do a little bit of work inside the university, but predominantly I'm working with um, leadership teams all from senior leadership offsites to managers meetings as a, as a keynote speaker, et cetera. Um, you can find way more information about that at davidberkus.com. I'm really lucky. Uh, B-U-R-K-U-S, Berkus is a really odd last name. And so the domains were <laughs> not like Scott Love, the domains were wide open. So davidberkus.com <laughs> is the best place to go for that. That's great, David. Thank you for being on the show. I'd love to have you back on the show as a guest in the future. And I wish you all all the success that you can handle because you've definitely helped me solve some problems today. And I know that you've given some great ideas to our listeners. Thank you, David. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.